From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And welcome back to the Cannabis Podcast. Here we are at episode 120. If this is your first time, an especially warm welcome for you ahead of you, probably 45 minutes or so today of cannabis information and some great conversation about cannabis. Let me remind you this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. This episode, well, as I said, we have a feature conversation, and that's with Janine and Morgan. Uh, Janine, the VP of Sales, and Morgan, the Customer Service Manager for Joint Venture Craft Cannabis. A whole bunch of brands they've got out, including BC Black. And around that, we've got a couple of stories from OkanaganZ.com, my buddy David Wiley. The Ontario Chamber of Commerce taking a forward look at what needs to happen with cannabis. And some great news about CBD potentially being a new overdose antidote. On Cultivar Corner, in fact, we are doing some product from BC Black and the folks at Joint Venture Cannabis. It is Living Cannabis, their Lemon Sugar Kush. Mmm, delightful taste. That and more on episode 120 of the Cannabis Podcast. You know, when you start a project like doing a podcast, you never know who's going to come along for the ride. And, and it's been really pleasing to me that you are here. First of all, thank you for being a listener. And let me send out a couple of family shout outs. Hi to Bill. And not only Bill, but Stanley and Rosie, too. And maybe someday I'll, I'll let you hear how Rosie sings happy birthday. <laughs> nice to have you along for the ride, Bill. I'm really stoked that you were here, and I think you're here every every episode, so thank you for being here. Hi to Caroline. Caroline is becoming a great-grandmother. I'm not sure if I was supposed to say anything about that, but I just did. <laughs> Hi to Ian and Christine, in case you're still hanging around occasionally, although I'm sure you're busy getting ready to have that baby later this year. And let me also do a shout out to Kevin and Jordana for your support at buymeacoffee.com slash cannabis podcast. And thanks to Tony and Rob for supporting me at Patreon. And you can find all those links in the top right corner when you're on the show page, or you can find them back at cannabispodcast.com. Now, our first story of the day. And for that first story, we're going to okanaganz.com and a story written by my buddy David Wiley. This about the Ontario Chamber urging government to modernize cannabis. Seems like it's about time, doesn't it? <laughs> The Ontario Chamber of Commerce says the province needs to modernize and champion the cannabis sector. The influential 60,000-member business group is urging the government to allow cannabis consumption sites and special events permits, as well as stopping what it calls the clustering of cannabis stores. Now, hang on a sec. I think I read that just a little bit too fast, so let me reread that again. The influential 60,000-member business group is urging the government to allow cannabis consumption sites and special events permits. Didn't it sound better that way? <laughs> its recommendations come in a submission to Ontario's Progressive Conservative government before they table the budget March 23rd. In the three years since recreational cannabis was legalized in Canada, it has quickly emerged as one of Canada's fastest-growing sectors and has since contributed over $43 billion to our national GDP, says the Chamber's 27-page report. Yet major hurdles, including an overly restrictive regulatory regime, inhibit economic growth, deter investment, and squeeze margins for producers and retainers alike. The Ontario Chamber has been a vocal advocate for the cannabis industry. Last December, the nonprofit group urged the province to be less cautious in its cannabis policy. 
Cannabis companies, including retailers and producers, have been pushing against a regulatory framework they say is suffocating them with too much tax, too many restrictions, little support, and razor-sharp margins. Rocco Rossi, the Chamber's president and CEO, told the Toronto Star that unlicensed cannabis still makes up over half of sales. In an increasingly competitive world, what you want to be doing is to be constantly evolving. And make no mistake, there have been good steps taken, but there's more that can be done, he told the paper. With multiple levels of government, you've got some municipalities that allow cannabis stores and some that don't. So you've got a bit of a chaotic rule structure. I think this is an area where three years in, you can and should be having ongoing conversations to make things more transparent, more consistent. And that would help the market significantly. This latest advocacy by the Chamber on behalf of legal cannabis includes six recommendations. Work with the federal government to ensure regulations strike the appropriate balance between safeguarding public health and ensuring cannabis companies can develop a distinct brand and product offerings that can effectively compete with illegal actors. Two, modernize regulations to allow licensed producers and retailers to have a direct relationship. Three, pursue lost tax revenues from underground markets and establish tougher penalties for non-compliance coupled with intensified audits. Four, require the Ontario Cannabis Retail Store to provide quarterly updates on their progress around the 16 recommendations in the Auditor General's Value for Money Audit Report released in December of 2021. Five, facilitate cannabis consumption establishments and implement special occasion permits. And six, address issues related to the clustering of cannabis retailers by one, informing the prospective store owner what stores are or may be opening around their proposed location at the start of the application process, two, developing a heat map on the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario's website, which includes newly approved stores and applications that have been submitted for a retail license to allow for more informed business decisions, and three, allow for the market forces of supply and demand to take effect. Some great recommendations. Nice to see the Ontario Chamber of Commerce stepping up and supporting the cannabis industry. Hmm. Perhaps there's some other organizations in other provinces that would like to step up and take the same approach. We're listening. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Joint Venture Craft Cannabis. They're in Salmon Arm, JVCC. And they have made a big splash in the BC cannabis industry in the last few years. JVCC was founded by Ben Williams. Ben made a great decision when he brought in Janine Davis to help fulfill his vision. Janine is VP of Sales at JVCC, and both her and Morgan LaRossi, Customer Service Manager, join me for a conversation today. We pick up that conversation just after I have asked Janine to tell me how her cannabis story began. Well, my story in the cannabis space started about, you know, 20 years ago um, when I first started to pick up trimming jobs um, in order to support my child as a single mother. So, you know, it was 20 years ago in the cannabis space when you were being paid $25 an hour cash, that was a pretty meaty um, wage, right? And and we called it, you know, there's a danger pay aspect to that because what we were doing was highly illegal. Nobody was medically licensed yet that we were working for. Um, and it was in that line of work that I ended up having my cannabis arrests. One of the things I really noticed, like once legalization came, is I was living in Nelson, B.C. by now, um, and the entire community was very much upheld by the illicit cannabis economy. And there was a lot of mothers and parents here who fed their families from these living wage roles. And so... um, legalization was an opportunity to 
transition the cultivators that we had worked with for years into um, legal operations so that a lot of people could continue their jobs and not see our community um, take a bigger hit from legalization. But, you know, unfortunately, there's been kind of a myriad of issues um, in transition. So I would say we've seen the cannabis economy decline overall in Nelson, BC, where I live, but it's been a huge motivating factor. So initially I worked on licensing and transitioning clients through some organizations that I was a part of, uh, some companies, and some of those companies never did reach market. When I was introduced to Ben Williams, the um, founder of Joint Venture Craft Canada, from one of my um, clients, one of my cultivation clients, West Kootenai Cannabis Corp, Greg Wakarton. And he said, you've got to meet this Ben guy. He's a great guy and you should be working with him, Janine. And I met Ben and, you know, we were just aligned in every aspect. We were aligned with what we wanted to do, who we wanted to do it with and how we wanted to do it. And, um, He has just really believed in me and let me, you know, get these cultivators to market. And I have to congratulate you and Ben for for the process that you've gone through, all the work that you've gone to. But but the fruition is seeing all of this come to life. That's that's got to feel pretty good, right? No, it's been a really good experience. And it's not you know, it hasn't been all, you know, all easy or you know some have struggled like this has been a really tremendous year in market compression um and as well like competition right so you know when we first started operating there was not that many micros in canada maybe under um like under 200 and now there's over 500 and so when there's that much more craft product flooding the market um and it's a very small segment of market space for premium cannabis so give us a sense, Janine, and, and I'm, I'm going to introduce Morgan, who's also joining us on the call in just a little bit and get a sense of what her background is. But give me a sense, Janine, of, of what as Joint Venture Craft Cannabis you are doing in collecting all these micros and bringing them to market. Give us a sense of what's involved with that. What's involved is, you know, you, you we, some people, Ben and I had worked with pre-license or helped with the licensing, um, and we did this before we met. Some Ben helped with the licensing. So once they're licensed, it's really about, you know, what genetics are you going to run? Have you made sure that they're clean, Um, you know, clean from residual pesticides that can be passed down through several plant cycles in a plant? And, you know, with no regulation in the illicit market, you don't know if the guy that you got clones from, uh, you know, lit off a you know, bug bomb, and then you're going to have residual pesticide in your flower that's banned by Health Canada. So there's a lot of steps to making sure that the genetics that they're working with are clean from any residual pesticides from the illicit market that they imported on their 10-2 declaration, and then making sure that those are also able to be grown in a commercial environment. Not all cultivars do well at scale. And not all cultivars do well in a certain growing environment. Some will truly thrive in organic living soil, LSO. Some will thrive better in rock wool and grodan. So some do better under LED, some do better under HPS. So it's kind of like talking to them, what are you going to run? How, how, what are you going to grow? What's your supply 
timeline look like? And then building SKUs and pitching these SKUs to our provincial distributors so that they're actually able to sell their products through the market. And so, you know, there's been a lot of really interesting things that have happened in the market. I feel in BC has really matured with direct delivery um, because now we don't have a gatekeeper telling us what SKU we're allowed to list or not. We can list it and prove it in the market. As you've indicated, that's going well for you. You, you are able to prove those in the market. Yes. Yeah, so far, you know, so far we've been doing pretty good with it. So I want to know and find out about all the the products that you've currently got up, Janine, but let's bring Morgan into the conversation. So Morgan, you are also with Joint Venture Craft Cannabis. Uh, What's your role there and how long have you been with them? My role has kind of evolved from where I started it. I actually just celebrated my one year anniversary with the team. Congrats. Um, Thank you so much. It's been, honestly, this is my dream job um, and I couldn't have landed it with a better company. It's it's honestly been such a cool experience. I uh, I was an environmental student pre-COVID and then really found my interest in cannabis. And I worked retail and then I also moved into the middle of nowhere and worked at a facility and then went over to Nelson and was like, this is the hub of cannabis. This is where I need to be. And I worked at a, a dispensary and I took two courses from the University of Guelph on cannabis production and the QA and um, Cannabis Act, just because I'm a nerd and I want to learn more. And I actually, by fluke, met Janine while I was working at the dispensary and her and I just hit it off and it evolved from there. So I started out as a sales rep part time this time last year, actually, when I would have I think seeing you at the cannabis summit, I was just a part-time sales rep and things evolved as direct delivery happened. Um, the opportunity came up for customer service manager. Um, so now I kind of oversee all customer service that happens through joint venture. Um, the one 800 number on the back of the packaging comes to the cell phone. So um, I, uh, I answer all the calls. I'm the live chat feature on the website and um yeah, I, I run the help run the customer service email. So anything, you know, it's an agricultural product. There's complaints that happen. There's, you know, sometimes a bad bag or whatever the complaint is, even if somebody just doesn't like the terps. And sometimes people just want to nerd out and talk to you about stuff. So it's really cool. That's my daily job. I get to answer emails and nerd out with people while still handling the repping. So I, um, I take care of the interior, the Kootenays and Northern BC. It's kind of the best of both worlds because I, I love the back end of learning about stuff as well as I love the retail side of it. So in this position, I get to do a little bit of both and I, I really love it. And BC Black, Ben Williams and Janine, they've created such a beautiful cadence of what they're doing with their facility and the growers. And I just don't think I could have been in a better position to learn. I don't know if Janine had mentioned, but we're an all-female legacy sales team. Good for so, you. yeah, it's it's really cool to be able to learn from some of the, you know, most badass women in the industry and it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very cool. And and I also like the the connection back to Nelson. I'm a Nelson boy. That, that's where I Are grew you? up. And yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> I How did my, I not know this, Gary? Yeah, I spent my early uh, years in Nelson, and then I came back there. I worked in radio in in the latter days as well. So Nelson is very special to my heart. So I'm, I'm pleased to see that there's so much involvement with that. So 
you mentioned BC Black, Morgan. Let's let's get into it because there's there's a bit of confusion about what BC Black is. So have an explanation. Who who wants to take that one on? I'll take that one. Um, so BC Black, what it is, is we when we first had all the cultivators come on board, a lot of them just had a license under a numbered company. So there was no brand established. And, you know, there's a huge learning curve going from legacy to legal. The compliance portion, you might spend as much many hours in a week doing paperwork as you do Um, taking care of your plants, it can be crazy. So in order to aggregate them into a brand, we needed a brand that really told the story of who they were, what they did and where they came from. So when we think about micro cultivated craft cannabis from legacy entrepreneurs, what I think of is black label. Black label being the finest, the most premium. So I see it as a black label brand. This is premium cannabis from some of the best legacy entrepreneurs in BC who had, you know, made a very brave decision to transition into legalization. I mean, they took on tremendous debt. They have huge CapEx payments to build these compliant facilities, and they took the leap in with both feet. And I have a deep respect and admiration for each and every one of them. Yeah, I bet. That is fabulous. The, the story is a great one. And, and as you say, bringing these, these growers who were so involved in, in the pre-legal market, an opportunity to come into, the, into this world, I think it's just fabulous what you guys are doing. What, what's been, and I know you could probably go on for days about the challenges you've faced. What, what do you think currently is one of your biggest challenges you're facing? Well, one of the biggest challenges, there's a few, um, a few challenges going on right now. Um, one of the most tremendous challenges in the industry is in the price that the consumer pays, even what we get paid from the province the lion's share of it is going to the government, whether it is the excise tax, the GST, or the BCLDB 15% markup, which they take regardless of the fact that they're not doing logistics or accounting on direct delivery. So when you look at a purchase order and you break off the piece that the government makes and the piece that the processor makes and the piece that the cultivator makes, the government's getting the biggest portion of this invoice. And I would say that while this is quite the cash cow for the government, you know, there's been a lot of confusion about where is that tax money going? How is it making uh, communities better? Has there actually been the threat to health that they had initially foreseen? I'd say no. Um, So that would be one of the biggest barriers we're looking at right now is a lot of companies have 30% of their top line revenue going to the government. And and it's it's, it's the hardest industry in Canada based Mm -hmm. upon that. It's untenable. It, it can't continue that way. It truly is. I mean, and that's not all the tax collected. You know, there's also cl- tax collected, um, you know, from retailers and PST and GST and, you know, licensing fees to municipalities and our licensing fees to Health Canada. It goes on and on and on. So I would say government overreach has made it so 
a lot of people are dying on the vine in the industry and the ones with the financial wherewithal to stick around, a lot of them are going to be publicly traded companies that are able to use their shareholders' money like a piggy bank to subsidize failing operations. And I wouldn't say that's the kind of cannabis that consumers want to be their only option in a few years. No, we, we certainly don't want to go there. So what's, what's the solution? How, how do we go about fixing this? Well, um, me personally, I think that uh, working on the solution federally is a losing battle. Uh, The federal portion of excise tax is only 25 cents a gram, whereas the provincial portion is 75 cents a gram. And also we have the 20% overreach vape tax that's uh, on there as well. So I And I've put this out to some other leaders in the industry to say I personally own property in the finance minister of BC's uh, riding. And I would really love us to have a coordinated reproach to ask for a meeting. I'm one of her constituents. I don't think she can deny me such an opportunity. So I would like to um, tackle it from there. But I really think we need to be going after this at the provincial level rather than at the federal level. That sounds like an excellent plan. I always wondered what the split was. Thank you for, for providing that clarity. I, I knew there there was a bigger portion going to the provinces. So what's one of the challenges for you, Morgan, in, in keeping customers satisfied? And, and what are you doing to fix those? You know, something that I, I really see from taking on this position is, and I've seen it too, like I think my background a bit, in each little realm of the industry kind of gives me a little bit of a one-up on things, but um, companies and their customer service policies, um, we get inquiries all the time, even just like information or we get like, you know, you weren't happy with something or something didn't, whatever it was, not a lot of companies answer. So not a lot of companies actually are taking the time and the resources to use somebody as their customer service manager that's on it all the time so we we i also handle um, a lot of the product knowledge sessions so i always make sure that companies are aware dispensaries are aware of what our customer service policy is how seriously we take it we want your experience and your money that you're spending on craft cannabis to be worth it and we want you to have a beautiful experience a lot of them don't believe that you know, the 1-800 number is a real person. And I'm, I'm here to say that it is. Uh, I check the app every 24 hours. And I think that's been the biggest eye opener for me. Um, challenge wise, you know, direct delivery, it's the biggest challenge was, you know, Janine had said previously, we were building the airplane as we were flying it. So <laughs> I think that was the biggest challenge was figuring out where the customer service needed to be. Because I also um, am on the back end dealing with clients for direct delivery, if there's, you know, anything in that realm. So the two biggest challenges has been really just getting out there and telling people that, you know, BC Black Joint Venture, we really care and we want you to know that you're being taken care of um, and mostly just like convincing people that there's somebody that they can talk to yeah. if they have questions. Yeah. And then okay. also just, you know, navigating the the direct delivery portion of things has been, has been huge. And I, I think too, 
something to touch on is the pricing structure right now in BC and Canada in general. Um, you know, we're kind of going through a recession. So that's kind of been a challenge. Um, we've done a bunch of price reductions um, on our end. We want our cannabis to be accessible to everybody. We don't want it to be an occasional smoke. We want you to be able to access good cannabis at any point in time, not just when you have excess money to spend. So that's been a big challenge there is getting the word out that, you know, companies care. We want you to be able to have access to these products and roll in with the punches of the market and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're answering the phone. So give me a sense of what brands are hot that you're building now that's that is, it's exciting, it's either out there or it's coming soon. Uh, give us a sense of, of what we can get excited about. Well, um, what I'm really excited about are the cultivator brands that we've been dropping. And, you know, while the cultivators may not have had the bandwidth to manage a brand, manage a social media brand presence, have a website, keep the variable skew data on the website because it's changing lot by lot and do that kind of um, marketing work for their brand that they own and that they have the equity in. Okay, it's it's theirs solely and we're just simply toll processing it for them and and helping them with sales. So I would say it's been like very, very rewarding to see the cultivators that have really proved their metal in the market. We've got Smoker Farms launched. Uh, we're, we had a soft launch on the pre-rolls. We have his flower coming, a super rare sativa, a triple mint train wreck, as well as his master kush ultra, which has become a staple for cannabis consumers across Canada. A fabulous job at Smoker Farms. Absolutely. He's doing an incredible job. And, you know, to see to see Jeff and Sherry graduate and get their own brand and start to build that brand equity for themselves and their business, that's been a, a complete it's an absolute joy. Also, we've seen uh, Scott Rutledge. He's just an incredible gentleman up there in Golden, BC. He's a true Kootenai boy, you know, and he is, he, he's got his brand out for Stone Grove. And, you know, Scott has some really unique genetics. He's got those umami seed drops like Bizquick. And, you know, he, he Scott really cares about like, the breeders that he grows for and the genetics that he brings to market. I had a big cry the other day though, because he killed his gelato sorbet mom because it could only test at like 18 to 22%. (laughs) And I think that was some of the best cannabis that I've sold ever in our supply chain. And, you know, Scott really deeply cares about how he grows the breeders that he's growing. He tries to do, he always tags them and everything and gives them props. He's getting to launch the stone grow brand. I mean, I just think the branding is beautiful and incredible for both Smoker and Stone Grove and Living Cannabis. We have dropping that drop now, too. You're going to see their Lemon Sugar Kush come out in, like, their colored Mylar bags. And um, we're, we're having their Triple OG five-packs drop at the province this Friday in Central Delivery. Um, really beautiful products. They're an organic living soil cultivator. They care deeply about the environment, environmental impact. They're really, really occupied with how they grow and the love they put into it, not just the end result. 
Um, you know, each of the cultivators has a story to tell and a journey on how they got to where they are. And getting to launch these cultivator brands, we have Purifier coming out soon. Um, Purifier is, you know, Bill Lewis has, you know, 30 years of cannabis experience and he was a legacy breeder. And his son, Cody, is a perfectionist to say the least. And their grow rooms are absolutely pristine. Their facility is beautiful. You could eat off the floor. Um, These are people who genuinely, deeply, deeply care about what they're putting to market and to to have the honor of being able to sell this product like it's deeply meaningful to me and I always felt the same way when somebody you know I was a single mother who was a broker which meant I didn't have a huge cash float to cover a loss I would cover a loss if it happened but it would be like taking out a line of credit to do so and when somebody wouldn't trust me with their cannabis to sell it and to get them paid they're trusting you with their family's financial future I do not take that like lightly and I see it as a real honor to be able to launch these brands and to build equity in these businesses for our clients well I'd have to agree with you on that Janine thank you so much for that excellent explanation let me advise you Lemon Sugar Kush is actually going to be featured on Cultivar Corner in this episode. So hang on for that. Now, let's talk about what you've got coming up. What's exciting that we need to know about? Well, one of the things we're really excited about is at Joint Venture, we actually launched a house brand called BCOZ. And we have aggravated a lot of the B-grade products into a value brand. Because not every product that a cultivator produces is going to be premium. And the problem with the regulated market that's been such a learning curve from the traditional market is that in the regulated market when you get a SKU registered you have that SKU registered at a price point so if I'm selling something as a premium product I can't then say oh lower the price this month it's a, it's a dub or lower the price this month it's not a quad it's a low trip and then I'm going to bring it back up next month that's not how the regulated market works you're doing consumer packaged goods and customers expect consistency so we have a brand to aggregate some of that b-grade product into and provide affordable indoor craft lab tested great numbers that just maybe doesn't have it all Um, you know, and we're offering that in BCOZ and BC half OZ. And that's one of the things at Joint Venture that we've done that we're really, really excited about coming into 2023. And we have been accessing a lot of that through direct delivery as well. Really nice product. It's a nice product line. Well done. Thank you so much for the conversation, ladies. It has been a delight. You've taught me so much about JVCC, BC Black, all the other brands that you're working with. There is some fine cannabis coming out of your organization. Any last words from you? Well, just thank you so much for having us on, Gary. And, you know, everything that you guys are doing as well, I have to say, working Working with Spirit Leaf in Kelowna has been so much fun, and I just think there's so many amazing, passionate people in this industry, in BC in particular. I feel really best to be here. There is certainly a lot of passion in this industry, and I thought of one more thing for you. It's time for my hot seat questions. So you can each answer 
What's your favorite cultivar? For me, it's a cultivar called Project 4516. It's bred by Grandi Flora, and it's grown by Paradise Valley Botanics. They're here in Nelson, B.C., and they're just working on their micro license right now. Ooh, sounds delightful. Morgan? Favorite cultivar? That's a that's a tough question, but um, I, I really love the donkey butter. Um, that was uh, Grease Monkey X Triple OG from Black Kettle Farms. Um that's probably my favorite. <laughs> Excellent. And do you prefer joints or vape? Joints. Joints. <laughs> and what is your favorite munchie? Microwave nachos. <laughs> <laughs> um, chips. Yeah, chips are one of my favorites, too. Edibles or flour? Flour. Flour. Yeah, flour is pretty well the number one for me almost <laughs> every time, too. Now, the next question is a result of me hearing different terms for 3.5 grams of cannabis across the country. In BC, of course, we call it an eighth. In Ontario, they often refer to it as a half quarter. So I'm wondering if you have a particular name for 3.5 grams of cannabis, or is it one of those two? It's called not enough weed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is an even better answer. The one I go with, too. It's never enough. But I always say 3.5. I always am just like a 3.5. Yeah, I just find the different terminology really, really interesting. Well, thanks again for joining me here on the Cannabis Podcast. It was a pleasure having some conversation with you today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your night. Okay, thank you. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to the corner. Go to the corner. On Cultivar Corner today, we're going back to our friends at BC Black. Oh, lovely, lovely set. I just popped open the bag on my first hint of what we're doing today, and that is Living Cannabis by BC Black, and this is their Lemon Sugar Kush. Three and a half grams of it. Mmm, definitely some sweet notes on that as you open that up. Oh, very fruity bounty. Mmm. Some some hints of some, almost some spiciness. Not quite a pepperiness, but a bit of spiciness to it. Now, this is one of the challenges that I had <laughs> in doing this Cultivar Corner, as I have expressed many times in the past. Sometimes the information that we seek is not so readily available. <laughs> and that was certainly the case with my search to get ready for today. We're talking about living cannabis, and I'm always happy to promote and support local companies, BC companies that are doing fabulous job, and Living Cannabis is one of those companies. In fact, they are up in the spell, spell machine, which is just a little north of where we are here in Kelowna, beautiful part of the Okanagan, and Living Cannabis is located there. Now, here was a bit of my challenge. <laughs> I went to the Living Cannabis website which you, of course, will find in the show notes. I put a link there for you to check it out as well. But you'll notice if you go to the Living Cannabis website, you may be a little surprised because they're not showing the cultivar we're talking about today. The cultivar that is listed on the website was the first one that they came out with, which was Pakalulu Punch. That came from Living Cannabis. That was really nice. But there is nothing on their website about this one. Lemon Sugar Kush. So that meant I had to go to some other sources to find some details about it. There's a couple of really interesting terpenes in this one. I've seen them on occasion, and I'll talk about those in a bit. 
but let's give you a sense of who living cannabis is. Their growing methods can be accurately described as organic, holistic, and regenerative. They're using living soil product, and it's truly alive. Our amendments and feeding practices are 90% directed to feeding the life in the soil and only occasionally using organic and microbe-friendly products to tweak the nutrients if a soil report shows a slight deficiency. What is living soil? Living soil is a growing method centered on the microbial life inside the soil. They use living soil for their indoor cultivation by taking elements like peat moss and mixing in beneficial microbes, fungi, mycelium, nematodes, protozoa, worms, and everything else you find in a thriving ecosystem. Worm castings are a main ingredient in their weekly compost tea. They brew their compost tea from 24 to 48 hours, depending if you want a more microbe or a fungal-dominant tea for the soil. They add a few key micro-ingredients to feed the tea, which is then watered into their beds, giving a microbial and fungal populations a boost. Love to hear about all the fantastic methods of cannabis growing that are out there. And Living Cannabis up in Spalmachine doing a fabulous job. Now, here's the terpenes that I talked about. And here again is where some of the discrepancies in available information comes in. As I said, I cannot find anything about this cultivar on their website. I do know that the lineage is double OG and Larry OG. Indica dominant, definitely indica dominant. So some of the other details I found were from some other sources. For example, this is from Ask Growers, where their description of the lemon sugar kush strain shows the effects being giggly, the side effect maybe hunger, flavor lemon. Yeah, I can definitely get that lemon flavor in that. THC, they say uh, 21 to 24% on my bag. The THC sitting at 27.9%. And total terpenes on this one, 3.86, which is one of the reasons why I think it is so aromatic when we open up the bag. Nice black bag from the folks at BC Black. And what else do we have in here? Now, here's where the discrepancies start to come in. When I'm looking at all ask growers, the terpenes they list are linalool, limonene, felandrine, myrcene, pinene, caryophylline, and valencine. When I look on my bag, which has my total terpenes of 3.96, and the terpenes listed, limonene, at 1.05%. And then these two, and I always have trouble with these ones, and, and we're talking science here, folks. <laughs> and I'm, I'm too much of a stoner to dive too much into this science, and I, I'm not even sure if I get the names of these ones right. Selena 4711-Dian at 0.27%. And Selena 415-711-DN is the third predominant terpene. I, I have no idea on those ones. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, I did some search. I, I did a peek to see what the heck that is. And I have the chemical description of it. It is a bicylic sesquiterpene uh, carrying additional methyl and isopropylidine substituents at positions 4A and 7, respectively. Does that help? Does that make it clearer for you? <laughs> Sometimes the science just makes, oh, geez, I'm too stoned to understand that. <laughs> okay, so we can't get you the specifics of the terpenes, at least identifiable. Uh, but we can tell you what the weed is like. So I've got one of my buds out. Let me get my jeweler's loop out. And let's take a nice peek at this living cannabis lemon sugar kush. Indica dominant, definitely indica dominant. And this is my first hit of the day. Going to be an interesting effect. Uh, nice firm buds. Mm. 
Squeeze those. Mmm, a little bit more of that aroma leaks out. I'm taking a look at the bud with my jeweler's loop. Nice little trichomes on there. I'm going to increase the magnification and let's get dive in there even a little bit deeper. Ah, oh, there's what I'm looking for. Nice little trichome fields in there. A mix of some heavy milky and into the amber. Mmm. And it smells really good. <laughs> I think it's time we gave this one a test. And due to some technical difficulties, which I'm a little embarrassed about, my crafty's not charging up this morning. I hope I don't have a problem with that. I hope it will be okay after it sits for a bit, but it's definitely not going to participate today. So our review of Living Cannabis's Lemon Sugar Kush is going to be limited to the joint. So let's get at it. And very pleased to say, a nice, pleasant taste from the joint. Oh, you definitely get those limonene notes. Really citrusy on the inhale. On the exhale, a little bit of those spicy notes. Hoping that this truly will have some of those giggly effects. I wouldn't mind doing some giggling today. <laughs> and there we go. Three hits in. Ah, starting to come on fairly nice here. And as I roll through that joint, let me see what's coming off of that. Not seeing any black on the smoke. It's hanging on to that ash rather nicely. Mmm. Oh, and here's the kick. Mmm, mmm, mmm. I just love smoking cannabis and getting that first buzz of the day. It's just, there's something magical about the first... <laughs> about the first set of euphoria. <laughs> and so far, it has not disappointed. Smooth. The ash continues to be gray as the joint continues to go down. Getting some happy eyes. Kind of sapping in there. Now, this is an indica, and I'm not feeling any of those giggly notes yet. <laughs> of course, I'm always giggly when I smoke some weed. <laughs> but I am definitely feeling that nice euphoria. It's coming right into my head. Drifting a little bit further down. Maybe a little bit of a body stone there. Mmm. And I just know that if I had the Crafty Plus working, I would be tasting so much more of this living cannabis lemon sugar kush. My apologies for that. I think this is the first time I haven't been able to use the Crafty on a cultivar corner for some time. I hope I don't have to send it away to get fixed. Because <laughs> that could take a while. Well, based on the fact that you can now hear me rambling, about my electronic device and whether or not I can get it working again. <laughs> my happy eyes are rolling. That euphoria is just right there in my head right now. Hoping that's going to move into a bit of a body stone. Add some pieces into that. Now I just need to see some jokes and <laughs> read some jokes and see if I can get giggly. <laughs> We've been pretty happy with most of the stuff that's coming from the folks at BC Black. 
And they, of course, have the collection of micros around the province and giving them their avenue into the legal world and some fine BC cannabis. So congratulations to the folks at Living Cannabis from Spell Machine. Uh, or Spell Machine, I guess, is how it actually... <laughs> I've been pronouncing that wrong all the time. Spell Machine. <laughs> I'm not sure why I live here in the Okanagan. You'd think I know what the word was. But right until this moment, I think I've been pronouncing that wrong all my entire life. Spell Machine is how it, it's, it's said and how it's pronounced <laughs> And it's only because I'm high that I realize that I have been saying that word incorrectly. Sorry for the mispronunciation of your city. I'm not mispronouncing your name, living cannabis, or the strain, the cultivar lemon sugar kush. It's a heavy indica dominant, and it just may make you giggly. And as I am wont to do when the situation arises that is appropriate... <laughs> I've been sitting for a little bit after I finished that joint, and whoa, this came on a lot stronger in the subsequent minutes after finishing that joint and having a chance to let it roll around in my endocannabinoid system, have that THC bounce off my CB1 receptors. I'm really high. This is a really nice indica. And, and that's another discussion. We'll get into that whole indica-sativa hybrid discussion, which... I know we all want to try to get away from, but we keep falling back into it. It's just so easy. So this is listed as indica dominance. We'll read what they say. Uh, and it really, really gave me a good high, and that high continues. Like what you're doing at Living Cannabis. Sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed. This is the Cannabis Podcast. Well, Kind of appropriate that we finish off with a story also by David Whitey, the same fellow who wrote the story we started with. Well done, David. Again, I don't mention it enough, but really appreciate the work you're doing with theokanogancy.com. And this is a story with the headline, CBD Yields Potential Antidote for Fentanyl Overdoses. Compounds altered from CBD could be used in the creation of the next iteration of naloxone. With increasingly toxic drugs cut with fentanyl and carfentanyl, higher doses of naloxone have been needed to get overdose victims breathing again. Years of research into increasing the potency of naloxone have so far been unsuccessful. So researchers in the U.S. are working on a different solution altogether. They've been expanding on studies that have found evidence compounds in CBD can be used to reverse opioid overdoses, as well as make naloxone more effective when used in tandem. Globally, the opioid crisis has killed hundreds of thousands, in B.C., toxic illicit drugs are the leading cause of unnatural death. The B.C. Coroner Service reports more than 11,000 people have died in the province since a public health emergency was declared in April 2016. And that number, as a bit of a sidebar, is absolutely astounding. Naloxone has become the go-to solution in reversing overdoses. While it saved a lot of lives with tens of thousands of overdoses reversed in Canada, it's less effective against powerful synthetic opioids such as fentanyl. It works by competing with the drug molecules for the same binding sites on the receptors. But because fentanyl binds so readily, it has a leg up on naloxone, and growing evidence suggests that reversing these kinds of overdoses may require multiple doses of the antidote. Fentanyl-class compounds account for more than 80% of opioid overdose deaths, and these compounds aren't going anywhere. It's just too much of an economic temptation for dealers, says Alex Straker, Ph.D., who is the project's co-principal investigator. Given that naloxone is the only drug available to reverse overdoses, I think it makes sense to look at alternatives. 
In what's being called an interesting twist by researchers, cannabis, specifically at CBD, may prove to be that second antidote to overdoses. Michael Vanuweisen, Ph.D., the second co-principal investigator, says a new option could take one of two forms. Ideally, we would like to discover a more potent replacement for naloxone, Vanuweisen says. However, finding something that works synergistically with it, reducing the amount needed to treat an overdose, would also be a success. Organic Chemistry Ph.D. candidate Jessica Gudorf presented the research at the American Chemical Society Spring Meeting this past week. She explains that fentanyl and its other synthetic relatives bind more tightly to opioid receptors in the brain than other drugs, such as heroin or morphine. In an overdose, the skeletal muscles tense up and people can't breathe. This research is really significant because it demonstrates that there is an alternative mode of action for the treatment of synthetic opioid toxicity. Naloxone, the golden standard, is actually really effective against overdoses for things like heroin. However, it's shown to be ineffective against fentanyl-class synthetic opioids, says Gudorf. She says their work opens the door to making new blockers that work through a different mechanism. To augment the effect of CBD compounds, Gudorf altered its structure to generate derivatives. Taryn Bosk-Berger, a graduate student at Indiana University Bloomington, also spoke at the meeting. She tested the new compounds in cells with a substance called DAMGO, an opioid used only in lab studies. To measure their success, she monitored a molecular signal that diminishes when this type of drug binds. With feedback from these experiments, Gudorf refined the structure she generated. In the end, they narrowed the field to 15, which they tested at varying concentrations against fentanyl with and without naloxone. Several derivatives could reduce fentanyl binding even at what Bosk Berker described as incredibly low concentrations, while also outperforming naloxone's opioid blocking performance. Two of these also showed a synergistic effect when combined with the antidote. We hope our approach leads to the birth of new therapeutics, which, in the hands of emergency personnel, could save even more lives, Bosk Berger says in a statement. Now that they have proof of concept, the next step is to test the promising compounds they found in preclinical studies. The research builds on previous findings at the university suggesting that CBD can interfere with opioid binding. The idea goes back even further. Research published in 2006 by a group based in Germany concluded that CBD hampered opioid binding indirectly by altering the shape of the receptor. When used with naloxone, they found CBD accelerated the medication's effect, forcing the receptors to release opioids. Here's hoping this research continues at a very fast pace, because we could sure use this relief against the opioid crisis. Well, we have covered off a lot of information today. Again, thank you for being a listener. I always appreciate the fact that you were here. If you ever have a comment on anything you hear on the Cannabis Podcast, please send a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. If you would like to support the podcast in other ways, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash Cannabis Podcast. You can buy me a doobie if you feel so inclined, or you can head over to Patreon and become a patron, and you'll find the links to all of that at the top of the show page up in the top right corner. That's it for episode 120 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.